York Times bestselling and award-winning author of two kick-ass international thriller series. And this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. So is this the final version of the new intro? I don't know. (laughs) I'm still not happy with it. (laughs) We're going to be talking about, in, in today's show, we're going to be talking about fear, and more specifically, the fear of putting your work out there. And then Taylor is going to go into more detail about fear and phobias and things like that. So I don't think that you actually have a phobia about the intro and the need for perfection for the intro, do you? I don't even have a fear about it. <laughs> <laughs> You're just too busy to write something that's really, really like, awesome. Yeah, I'm just like, you know what? One of these days I'll figure this out. <laughs> Well, guess what I did last week? I know what you did last week, but our our listeners might not. Well, some of them might not. Anyway, I was in New York City for uh, Book Expo and APAC, which is the Audio Publisher Association thingy, uh, the, the big conference that they have. And it's essentially for audio publishers and narrators. And I am a longtime listener and lover of audiobooks, like from back in the days of... I don't know, way before cassette tapes, whatever was before cassette tapes, but you know, books on tape and getting them from the library. I, actually, I, I think I remember listening to audiobooks on, I know I've listened to them on LP records. I don't think I ever did one on, on an eight-track tape, so it was probably cassettes after LP records. Um, and for people who don't know what an LP record is, Google it. but but i got to meet uh the voice of vanessa michael monroe hillary huber which was an absolute thrill for me she's so much fun she is and and she just spoke so glowingly of you and she just like everywhere we were together she she mentioned you and how wonderful you were and how wonderful your books were and she started telling the the taylor stevens legacy story it was uh, (sighs) it was fun Wow, I wish I could have been there. I, I'm hoping to be able to see her when I go to Thriller Fest next month. And you just met her last year for the first time after having her narrate five books. I think it was last year. Honestly, time just bleeds. I, I have no, I'm lost in time. I have no concept of when anything <laughs> happens anymore. <laughs> but she is, uh, she's like a one-woman party and uh, a lot of fun to be around. So I, I'm envious that you're going to be able to see her again in, at, at Thriller Fest. So that'll be fun. And when is Thriller Fest? Um, it is July 12th through 15th, I think. Okay. And we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail probably as we get a little bit closer to it. Are you going to do a like a meetup kind of thing? I want to, but I haven't, like, I've been so busy I haven't had a chance to officially you know, arrange anything, but I've let people know in the newsy and um, online and stuff that if somebody is in town during that time to let me know so that we can connect and see if we can figure something out. And so, so far, I know I'm going to be hanging out with Hillary. I, we haven't like set a time or a day or anything yet. So it's, it's open. So if any of our listeners are going to be in New York City um, in that during that time period, or even at Thriller Fest, give me a shout, and we'll see if we can hang out together. Okay, all right. So, and we'll talk about that more in coming weeks. So, you ready to get to today's show? I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about it. Let's just <laughs> call it right here. All right. I, I'm joking. 
I'm like, that, I don't know what that said, that but was, you're in charge. Here, that so. was sort of a clever lead-in to, <laughs> to the idea of, of fear and putting work out there in public. But it, it fell lifelessly to the ground. So we'll just leave it at that. We'll go to our, our clever music, and then we'll start the show. Okay, so you got an email from a reader or listener, I'm not sure what. Uh, do you want to give a little background? Yes. So, I mean, I'm sure, as all our listeners know, I get a lot of email, not just related to this podcast, but related to writing in general, relating to my books. You know, it, I, get, I get a lot of email. I'm not always able to answer every email that I get, but I do try. And one of the topics that has come up a lot in emails and also some of our discussion is, as you know, we mentioned during the intro here, the subject of fear and getting past perfection and all of that. But I got an email uh, last week that it, it was different than all of that. And I'm not going to use the person's name. I don't even know if they are a podcast listener, but I, I, I wrote them back. And at the time that I wrote them, I was like, you know, it's really hard for me to take so much longer for me to write an articulate and well thought out email than it does to just have a discussion, you know, during the podcast. So if you don't mind, I'm all, I want to discuss this on air and talk about it in a little bit more depth and maybe take it a little further than I could in email. Um, just because I feel that not only would it be beneficial to the person who wrote me, but there might be other people out there who could really benefit from this. And what made me stop and really go, huh, about this email and not just give the same advice of, you know, you just got to feel the fear and do it anyway. The, tip, the stuff that you guys have all heard multiple times from me is that this person talks about how they, they, they want to write but they are terrified to let someone critique it or read it. And it's like an elephant sitting on their chest and it's a voice in their head that won't give them a break. And they just have all this shame and this negativity inside their head. And so they have all these ideas and they want to, to write it, but this, this fear, this doubt will never let them finish anything. And they cry about it. Like it's to the point of tears of that they're not able to actually bring themselves to let others read their work. And then they go on to talk about how growing up, they were always a disappointment to the people around them. And then even as they went into adulthood, their their parents just expected more from them than, than they were able to give. And they've never been able to get out of their own way by blocking the voices in their head. And the thing that connected with me so much in this email that I realized something's different here is because I recognize myself. And you know how sometimes you can't truly get an experience unless you've lived through it before on your own. I mean, that's just human nature. Um, I, I've lived this what she's described, not with writing, but with something else. And I felt like we're not, this is, we're not dealing with a fear here. We're dealing with a phobia, which is a completely different thing. 
And my, I just, my heart went out to this person. Like I, I couldn't not respond. And I'm like, I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a therapist in any way. I don't have any, um, special training or insight, but I know this thing. And so all I can do is tell you from my own experience, what it was that I went through and hope that maybe through that, you can find some answers for yourself. And so I wanted to share with you guys what I went through that I realized I had a phobia and what I had to do to get past it. And it had to do with my children. I, um, I didn't know, had no way of knowing that I had a phobia until my kids were about, oh, say one and three years old. And up until that point, they were always with me. And up until that point, if we ever went anywhere, we were either on foot or if we went in a car or a train, they were with me. I never, we didn't have car when we were overseas. We just went on public transport. So it was always really nearby. And then we came to the United States and we needed a car to go wherever we were going to go. And as long as my kids were with me in the car, everything was fine. But I could not leave the house without them. And it, if it was during the day, in the morning, sunny weather, it was no problem. I could leave. They were with their dad. Everything was fine. But if it was night or if it was raining or anything that was outside of perfect outside conditions, I couldn't leave the house without them. Absolutely couldn't. And at first that just seemed a little odd or a little weird. It wasn't like controlling my life or anything. And then when I think they're about two or four, uh, I had some friends over and they were like, hey, let's go out and get a drink. And it was evening at that time. And I shut down and I, I just, I, I burst into tears. Like it wasn't like a sad cry or a, um, you know, unhappy cry. It was sheer unadulterated terror from the, from gut, just down in my core of me was just freaking out, like hyperventilating. And it wasn't until they were like, no, no, it's okay. We don't have to go. We, we can stay here that I could calm down. And I was like, what is this? And you might, you know, you might think, oh, well, you know, of course you're your kids and you're feeling protective of them and you don't want, you know, you don't want to leave them in somebody else's care. That wasn't it at all. I had no problem with somebody else watching my kids and me go taking a break. I just couldn't leave the house without them if it was raining or dark or, you know, any not perfect condition. And then I'd say maybe six months or eight months, maybe a year after that, I had to go on a trip that would have required flying. And I couldn't do it. Uh, I had to do this thing. It was critically important, but I couldn't do it. And the only way that I could actually make this happen was for my then husband to take vacation time off work and we paid out of pocket for everybody to come with me. That was the only way I could get on that plane and fly. And I realized I had a problem. This is not normal to just have these breakdown panics of not being able to function and not understanding why, what, what, what is going on here? So I, realized I needed help and I had no money for therapy and 
wouldn't even have really known what to do. And it's not like I can just, someone like me with my background can just walk into therapy and say, hey, I'm having this problem without having to spend a hundred hours explaining my background and where <laughs> it came from, because otherwise it makes absolutely no sense. And then people from my background have run into problems of doing exactly that. And the therapist or the psychologist going, so how long have you been having these delusions? So uh, even going to seek help is a tricky proposition because my, my story is so bizarre. So I did the next best thing that I could do. I had, I had heard about self-hypnosis, you know, self-meditation. I don't know what you want to call it. I didn't follow a course or anything. But my goal was to just go back and go back and go back and go back until I could find the spot that hurt to touch. And what I realized, I learned in doing all of that, that it wasn't that I had a problem leaving my children. It was that I could not take myself away from my children. And it all went back to a time when I was about four years old that my dad left and never came back. And then when he did finally come back, my mom left and never came back. So there was like a two-year spell between the age of four and six where I only had one parent at a time, and even then it was kind of iffy, in a very non-stable situation because of the way that in the cult we moved so much and there were constantly people coming in and out of our lives, and the people who I relied on for that stability were just gone. And so what I'd been doing was all that pain and agony as a four-year-old was still there, and I was projecting it onto the present as if it was happening right now, but it was me doing it to my children. Mm. So I could not do to my children what had been done to me, which was leave and never come back, which was why I couldn't drive at night, I couldn't get on an airplane, I couldn't do any of these things, because in my subconscious, the belief was, those are the times when bad things happen to you, happen to people. So now I had a understanding of where this thing came from. And because it had a name and it had a, um, a source, I could begin to try and touch it a little bit. So I started doing small things, uh, going away when the weather was like slightly raining. I'd just go out for a little bit and come back. Uh, then I would got to where I could drive, drive in the rain during the daytime and then drive at night during the day, nighttime, uh, during normal weather, and then drive at night during the rain. And my area, my safe space, kept getting pushed a little bit further because I kept going and coming back and everything was okay. And then the final step was to get on an airplane without them. And that didn't happen until they were about eight or nine years old before I was capable of doing that. Um, and it was, it was an ordeal because I had to make sure that I had letters written to them, that they knew how much I loved them. I had to make sure that I had a will in place. I had to make sure that everything was taken care of. And then I got on a 45 minute one way flight and, and that was like, okay, I can do this. And even to this day, I still have those twinges of panic when I fly, but it's not enough to control my life. And so having experienced that and, and been through a situation where 
it's almost impossible to explain to someone else how your entire being is shutting down and crippling you, but you can't understand why. Makes me really empathetic to people who are experiencing the same thing, but for slightly different reason. And I, the reason I, I wanted to talk about this on the podcast is because when you're in that state of panic and phobia, it can feel very alone, like something's wrong with you, you're broken, you're crippled, and it seems insurmountable. And I want anyone who's listening to know and understand you are not alone, you are not broken, and as insurmountable as this seems, it can be conquered if you can find the source. Where is the source of your pain? Where is the source of your fear? And if you can find that, then it has a name and it has a reason. And then you can find the things that you can do to push your boundaries a little bit. I can't advise anybody on what they should do because we're all different and we all have different triggers and we all have different reasons for our fears. But finding that fear and naming that fear is the first step to being able to overcome it. And, and that applies even in situations when maybe you don't have a full-blown phobia, but you're just really, really freaking terrified to, to do something, to put yourself out there. And your subconscious, your inner child will not allow you that vulnerability because it perceives it as a, an attack of life or death proportions. So you're not alone. This is a human experience. Many people have phobias. They just might not have the same ones as you or the same fears as you. But if you're experiencing that deep fear, you are not alone. It is, you're not weak. You're not broken. It's, it's human. And it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to reach out for help. Um, it doesn't make you less of a person. And, you know, maybe for some people it's harder to overcome. You know, in my case, I could do small things that push that boundary, to, you know, push the panic, the phobia boundary a little bit further away. And for some things like getting on an airplane, there's no small doing that. You have to do it all or not at all. And so there might be some types of phobias that are sort of, all-encompassing, all or nothing at all. You can't just put zero words in front of other people and let them read them. You've got to put something in front of somebody to let them read it. And if that's the phobia, then, you know, maybe it's, you know, just a paragraph that you trust, some, somebody you trust to read it. Um, maybe it's reconciling with the people who caused you all that pain. May You know, I, I honestly don't know. But I guess what I'm trying to say is there is hope and it doesn't have to control your life. And that's my little story and the stuff that I wanted to talk about. All right. I'm hesitant to ask questions, but I have one. When, Absolutely. When you went digging in your mind to try and find and name what this was, how long did that take? It didn't take a super long time, you know maybe about a week or a week or two weeks of like just journaling. And um, at night I would lie in bed and just try and get my mind really still and really quiet 
and I would just start thinking back to, you know, the pain. Where is this? Where is this? And it was just like it, it came at me out of the blue, just this memory. And I was like, oh, my God, OK, that's it. So it didn't take a terribly long time to find the source. It took a long time to get over it. How many false starts did you have? Like, and I'll, I'll give an example. When I'm rattling around in my brain for a solution to something, there, there are always these things that pop up as the first things. And if you're in searing pain, it would be really easy to jump on the first thing that popped into your mind and go, oh, that's what it is. This is what I need to deal with. But that obviously is not what you did. No, because, I mean, granted, it's been a long time since then, but, you know, um, I don't know if anybody else has ever experienced this, but uh, sometimes you can be going through your day and something can upset you, but because you're so busy, you don't always take note of it. You just have this icky feeling, like something's off, something's wrong, and it's not until you stop and go, I don't feel right, what's bothering me? And then you stop and think back and you start playing back through the events that like of the day that led up to where you were right then. You just keep was this you keep going backwards in time. When you hit that thing, you're like, oh, that's what it was like. The feeling mm. comes back immediately. You're like, mm -hmm. that's what it is. And there's no there's no question that that's what bothered you. Um, and so in that case, I don't even remember anything else like jumping out at me. It's just when I hit it, I, I knew I knew right away. Well, that's what it is. If you know someone who's going through this, it, maybe we have listeners out, out here who are going through this, or maybe we have listeners out here who know people that are going through something similar to this, and you never know what's really going on in their minds. But how do you, how do you support someone that's going through this other than, hey, you just need to suck it up. You need to, you know, whatever, the, the trite things that we all say when we, we don't really understand the problem that someone is having. Well, I can only think back to the way that people reacted to me. And, um, they'd, I mean, obviously, they didn't really understand and some of them thought I was a little bit nuts, but I think they think that about me anyway. So it just was just one more kooky thing. <laughs> but my then husband, he humored it. He was like, okay, if that's what we need to do for you to, to be okay and, you know, get the kids on the plane and, you know, I'll take vacation time, then that's what we need to do. And we're going to do that. Hmm. And so it allowed me to breathe and it allowed me that space to... Um, to, to not shut down even more, I guess you could say. And I, the thing I know about myself, though, in this particular situation is that I wanted to overcome this. I did not want it to control my life. And so that is a, a critical point. Like some people who have phobias, I think, the um, the phobia is so intense that they can't even look at it. They can't even look it in the eye and say, yes, I want to get past this. So if somebody's in that state of being, the only thing you can do is love and support them. Because if you're trying to push them in what you think is best for them to help them get over this thing, well, that's not doing them any favors at all. Tough love does not work in this type of situation if somebody's truly in the throes of, of phobia. 
But if it's somebody who wants to get past it and wants to get over it and is open to your help, then I would say support them in the baby steps. You know, whatever small thing that, you know, maybe having the support there helps the someone that they they trust and rely on so much that um, that support doing something with them allows them to get past it a little bit. And, you know, some phobias are not life crippling. You know, some people are horrifically uh, phobic to like snakes or spiders or whatever. And that's not really the end of the world if you don't have to interact with snakes and spiders. But being agoraphobic, for example, and not being able to leave the house, that can be hugely crippling. And I'm not a therapist. I don't have a, a psychology background to say, oh, this is what you could do to help somebody like that. I just know that in my situation, what helped me was that people didn't mock me or make fun of me. They worked with it and and just accepted that this is who I am and, you know, let's try and make life better for all of us at the same time. Okay. Do you feel like you have addressed everything that you wanted to address to this person who sent the email in? This is not just a show for that one, for that person, but it's for everyone who might be impacted by something like this. But do you feel like you got across everything that you wanted to, to that person? In the email, I feel like I did in this, I mean, I only have so much advice to offer, but in talking about it here, I just wanted to raise the issue, bring it into the consciousness of discussion so that if there are those who are suffering from something similar maybe even not related to writing, just in general, to know that you're not alone and and that it doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a weak person. And um, But, yeah, I mean, I, I have a li- only so much to offer. It's small, but I offer it, and that's what it is. Okay. One of the things that you do have to offer is – the hack the craft thing that we do occasionally on the podcast where we get uh, listener submitted material. Is the queue still empty or do you have anything? The queue is still empty that I know of as of right now. So if anybody has any material that they want to submit and give us an opportunity to edit or work over, if you have questions about the material that isn't necessarily line edited, line edit related, send it on in. You can send it to my email address, which is contact at taylorstevensbooks.com. You can submit it through the podcast website. We have an email address contact there. Um, or, I mean, you can get us on social media, but that's not the best way to uh, send in material. So the email would be best. Okay. And I have a request for everyone that's out there listening. If you have not rated the show on whatever you listen to podcasts on or left a review for the show, would you please do that? I, I learned something, and I've been doing this for a while now. I, the algorithms at iTunes or Apple Podcast, whatever it's called now, have changed. And they're a little bit more like the Amazon algorithms where what really drives them are current reviews and current ratings rather than downloads or, or things like that. So if you could rate the show or review the show, that will move us up in the rankings and, and make the show more likely to be seen by other people who could be helped by it. That would be awesome. Okay. So that's it. Thank you for listening. We will be back next Tuesday. See you guys next time.